You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm in studio with Chris Sterrett. Hey. Hey, Chris. Wow. <laughs> that was quick on the trigger. Yeah. And David Roark. <laughs> wow. Uh, not in studio, but joining us by phone is the recently vaccinated, now terribly sick, Adam Hawkins. <laughs> Adam, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey, that was really real. I was trying to hold off. I was really trying not to cough, and then it just came out. I well, apologize. No. You should apologize. I'm great. Good to, good to hear from you guys. <laughs> well, great, man. Well, we miss you here, but we're excited to join us for the talk. Today, we're doing a, a cultural roundup. We're going to talk through three rapid-fire topics, about 10 minutes at a time. And uh, I'm excited about what we've got before us today. These are some important things. We're going to talk about things right in your neighborhood, about the anger right next door. Then we're going to talk about it across the nation. We'll talk about politics and midterm elections. And then we're going to talk a little bit about sports and loyalty of individual players to franchises. Sports is cool. All right. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right. The first topic today, I suggested this topic uh, because this has uh, been a burr in my saddle lately. Uh, something that has really gotten under my skin. And at the same time, Wait, I, it's almost entertaining to watch. Was it under your skin or a burr under your saddle? I'm just it, was, it was in my both. saddle and then it got under <laughs> okay. my skin. So it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But uh, are any of you guys uh, users of the Nextdoor app? I'm not. I yeah. downloaded it today because you asked me to. Okay. An infrequent user, but a user nonetheless. Hawkins, you've used it? Sure have. My wife probably uses it a bit more, but yeah, I've, I've definitely seen it. So here's and the th- been a, been on it. So here's the thing with the Nextdoor app. If you're not familiar with what it is, it's kind of like a social media app for your neighborhood. It connects you to your neighbors re- via this app where people might share if they lost a dog or found a dog or somebody stole a package off their porch or maybe there's a neighborhood event coming up. It's all posted on this Nextdoor app, which sounds like a great idea. What's great. interesting is in the world of social media where people feel free to hate on each other, you would think when you're in a room online with the people who literally live next door to you, you might have... Uh, I would think you'd have a greater degree of tact or a higher degree of, I really need to get along with these people, or why should I poke the bear who lives next door to me? you're actually going to see them in person. You're going to see them mowing their lawn. You're going to pass them in your car. (laughs) Your kids go to school together. But Adam, I don't know how your next door app is, but mine, it is the most hateful, mean-hearted, spirited place. Adam, have you seen this on yours? Yeah, it's vile, dude. Like, I mean, that's probably the wrong description because people, but they're it's super mean, spirited. What what and type of things are you talking about? Yeah, because oh, I, 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 yeah, I've been on there to get services, but I haven't seen the meanness. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just give you one example. So where uh, I, I was on there the other day, and we're in the neighborhood. There's young families, and kids, and all this kind of stuff. And a guy starts out by saying, "Hey, when I first moved in the neighborhood, I got a." Uh, like a warning from the city saying I needed to keep my grass a certain length or whatever, you know, uh, he was like, you know, it had been a busy week or whatever. And I was like thinking, Oh man, maybe he needs help. And as I'm reading more and more, he starts talking about, but there's this guy up the street 
and he's got little kids, and he won't mow his yard, and it's super long, and man, I can't stand people like that. And then the comment section was like <laughs> echoing it. And oh, maybe man. you had one or two people who were like made a suggestion like, well, maybe they need help. Maybe you could like mow his yard for him or something. It was like, right. no way. These people don't deserve it. And I'm serious. It was like not like a troll. It, was like, it wasn't like one thing. That's no. probably like the majority of what I read on there, this mean-spirited, like, you know, that sort of anonymity that comes with the internet and people just not being neighborly at all. Yeah. It but was the, really That's depressing, the thing is like, there's honestly. not a lot of these people, there's not anonymity. It's your name and your address attached to this. Like, you know where well, these people true. live. That's true. So yeah. listen, yeah. To this. this is from two days ago in my next door app. Okay. Somebody posts the, the title is found French bulldog found small white and black dog appears to be a French bulldog. Maybe found him at the corner of, and then it lists the street. That's, that's it in the post. The person who owns the dog posts and says, um, hey, thank you. Uh, I just personally messaged you. I guess I'll have to try harder to keep him in. I'm so sorry this happened. I don't know why he keeps getting out. And this is the response from people in our neighborhood. He keeps, quote unquote, getting out. Give me a break. No caller with ID tags, no microchip. You're pathetic. They have Boston Terrier <laughs> rescue groups that can find someone who wants him. Somebody else posts and says, um, Oh, your dog keeps getting out? I wonder why. Maybe it's because you don't feed him and he's hungry. Maybe it's because you abuse him and he wants to escape. Maybe it's because you just don't care. Give your dog to someone who cares. Oh, my God. Oh my it's gosh. unreal. That is insane. That's it, dude. This, uh, some other people are just replying, thank you, I agree, uh, your fence needs to be repaired. I mean, it's just mean, but that's not even, I mean, that's like a kind thing. I found your dog, and people are jumping on it in mean ways. Somebody else got a, um, so as, it, I know we talk a lot about race, but let me give you one more race thing. Somebody got in their mailbox in my neighborhood, somebody uh, dropped a flyer that said, it's okay to be white into this um, uh, mixed race couple's mailbox. Somebody dropped it off, and Somebody just uh, posted on there saying, hey, somebody put this in my mailbox. It's inappropriate. All of us would think that was inappropriate. These are the replies that somebody had. Why didn't you just say it when you have something against white people? You know it could be a man of any race or background who put that in your mailbox. How do you know it was a white person? It seems like you just want sympathy or something. If you already spoke to the police, get some surveillance. Then what else do you need? In Texas, you can just get a gun and then you'll be okay. Somebody else said, I, don't th I didn't put the flyer in your mailbox or anywhere else, and I'm a very proud white woman. Sorry if that offends you. White people are not the devil. Look around you. Gosh. Guys. <laughs> Look around. Someone from wow. the Nextdoor app is calling me right now. <laughs> <laughs> is it the people who own Nextdoor? I don't think that's how it works. Here, let me finish this comment, and then I want to talk about this. She said, white people are not the devil. Look around you, and you'll see hate from every color. I see it clearly in these comments. And then somebody else, the last one I'll read, because, I mean, I could go on and on. It says, I said uh, white men because they are the ones shooting up neighborhood places and places of worship. Those are the facts. Maybe y'all don't watch anything besides Fox. Boom. This, this is crazy. It is insane. Yeah. It's worse than anything I see on my Facebook page or are on Twitter. Like but these are their neighbors. These are the people who yeah. live. You can see their picture and their address. Do y'all have like street fights in your neighborhood? Yeah. <laughs> like, when I hear this, I'm no, like, is it, what, what are, what's the result of this? Is there yeah, like, yeah, are, how there, do you all live together? I just think, I, I don't know if like when I went trick-or-treating, I went with a clear conscience from door to door. But I wondered <laughs> if some people, as they went door to door, they're like, well, not there. That's the guy who, you that know, so, I mean, who doesn't I take of, care of his dog. I kind of yes. don't want to get on the next door app in my neighborhood now because I'm afraid of what I'll find. Well, this is but, what I'm wondering. Is this just my neighborhood adam have you you've seen some of this is this is mine a, a worse example should i mean no I no could, I, could that's a, I mean that's exactly right yeah no yeah. that's exactly right dude yeah i can't and, say and listen i'm not 
<clears throat> I don't want to denigrate the app. I do no. think it's apps helpful. Something deeper. Yeah, I, I um, <clears throat> I mean, if anything, it's worth getting on to sort of bear witness. You know, like to bear witness to the age we live in. Uh, I just think the heat is up right now in in society, uh, and I for a long time I think you could argue that we're becoming more and more and more and more isolated especially through things like social media. Um, but, man, I, I, it's just, it's honestly depressing. Um, but I think it's worth going on and bearing witness and then maybe trying to be something else. I'm not saying go and comment on it and everything else, you know, and, and just shout into the wind. But, um, you know, I, I also have a, my home group leader who's in Richardson. Like, they use the, the app and they'll be, like, post-movie nights and they throw a movie night in their uh, on their front lawn when the weather's right and they hang a sheet up and have a, a, a projector and all that. And a ton of people from the neighborhood will come out. And so I just want to say like, I, good things happen through the next door app. Absolutely. Uh, and I think you can use it to be a good neighbor, but the reality is it's, it's an extension of sort of what social media has become. And it's in, 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 and I think in a, a very good window in the hearts of just how, um, I don't know, sad sort of, and how the lost art of being a neighbor. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's what I wanted to, that's what kind of what I wanted to bring it up. Is this an accurate window <laughs> of what's actually in the hearts of my neighbors that I wouldn't realize because they just smile and wave, but Nextdoor app has given me maybe a new window into just how much anger there is about the length of lawns, the looseness of dogs, or even uh, when it comes to um, guns or there goes the neighborhood. Or I've seen several examples of overt racism. I just listed a couple, but I've seen that in ways that really grieve my heart and make me realize uh, there is so much around me that's broken that in, I'm, I'm still in my own bubble of my home, even though I'm in, in the expanse of my neighborhood. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it does. I, I don't know. It, you it's, think it's just my neighborhood. You think I live in a bad place. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, it's crazy. I would never expect particularly people to say those things when it's not anonymous. You are living in a neighborhood. But I, it, to some degree, it's kind of like the whole uh, you get in a car and then it's like you can do whatever you want in a car. You can cuss yeah. people out, flip them off, whatever. It's like there's just this bravery. little bit of separation of your window and your car door that makes you feel like you can get away with stuff, you know. Uh, I don't know. At, at its, I've never really thought about this. I, it's strange to me that that this would happen in something that seems like it's supposed to knit a community together in some ways, and right. it's like that's just that's it's weird. become a new avenue. Because you would never for... say something like that to somebody. I would. Think. I wouldn't. But I maybe would... these conversations have been happening, and I'm just not participating. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think that if you were to run into these neighbors outside in your lawn. Or you know, walking down the sidewalk, that anyone's going to act this way or say these things. Yeah. So it, I don't know. On the one hand, it makes me think about like some maybe idolistic picture we have of like when neighborhoods were good and everyone was outside, yeah. you know, talking and getting along. If if so, in some ways that was just a facade, and this is really how people feel about one another, and that's kind of dark to think about. Um, but to Chris's point, there's some. Do you guys remember when we had Mark Sayers on the the podcast, and he talked about that idea of non-place and how our society is is n it's not rooted in a sense of place. You know, um, mm. we even though we may live right next to one another, we have the we, we're tr probably driving 30 minutes to work in the morning. We're at our jobs all day. We're driving home. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Hey, Adam, are you, right are you making some soup? What are you doing there, Adam? 
I was making a little tea, just heating up the water in the microwave, but I didn't know you guys could hear that. I apologize. <laughs> no, I'm hearing everything. Um, but yeah, how you can you can live right next door to someone, and but really in our society these days, you drive to work, you're at work all day, you drive home from work, you may go straight into your house when you get home and never leave your house. You never see like yeah. I'm not saying that all neighborhoods are this way, but I think that this is sort of a growing theme in our society where it's like you may live next to someone, but you don't really know them. Yeah. And this app is kind of giving you a picture of of how that works. I think to some degree to what you were talking about in the the first part of that statement is like, I think if we were on our front porches more, if we were involved with our neighbors, like you wouldn't see that kind of thing because it's like, of course. I, I just don't think you could say those things about somebody yeah. that you personally know. Yeah, because it you know? dehumanizes them I mean. to only have a picture and right. an address, even yeah. though they're your neighbor, it's, right? It's exactly what it's exactly what David was saying. It's exactly what Chris just said. It's exactly what you just said. So you guys are right. Thanks, man. Well, thanks, Adam. Thank you so much. But also, no, no, no. I, I really do. I think that's right. It's like if I was, if I knew, I don't know, my next door neighbor. And, you know, I'm waving to them. We talk occasionally. I'm not even saying you're like best friends. You're just a neighbor. You're talking occasionally. You know, you, you see their kids. You know who they are. If their dog gets out, you know what you're not going to do? Be like, you must hate your dog. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think you, you just you respond in the way that you know them. And it doesn't mean you, like, know them intimately and you know all about their lives or that you're having dinner every week. I don't think that's the argument. I think it's just saying, yes, we're becoming more isolated. Yeah. Uh, for all the reasons you just said, like you don't you you work far away. It's a non-place, you know. It's the it is a microcosm of the suburbs, and I don't mean to. It's easy to pile on when you talk about the suburbs, but it is the reality, you know. You don't have to. This day and age, you literally don't have to know anybody. You don't have to rub elbows with them. Yeah. You don't have to. You can just be well, you can super only, comfortable. You can only speak to and hear from people that agree with you and feel perfectly fine. Yeah. 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 And exactly. I think I think looking at exactly. this looking at this like sort of fr- through Christian lenses it also just makes me think about like a the right place that social media or a tool like this can serve. I think that we've talked about this before but like community needs to exist first and you establish real relationships and right. then you can use a tool like this to um, sustain that community, to build that community, but I don't think it can be the other way around. And I think that that's when tools like this become unhealthy. You're building you, on an unstable foundation. Yeah, or you're yeah. building on nothing. There's not right. already a st- an established relationship there. So these people aren't really your neighbors because you've never talked to them in person or anything like that. And it just breeds something really unhealthy. Yeah. So I guess what? how should Christians behave on on next door and well i think i think one of the things is like our doctrine of uh total depravity is on full display in the next door app <laughs> right you're looking around and going yeah there's a lot of broken people who are hurt and are have uh, strong opinions about hatred towards other people and even even just hearing that somebody put a flyer in somebody's mailbox and said it's okay to be white in a way to try to intimidate scare or uh cause some uh, just the wrong way to go about having a conversation about race or racism it, it reveals how important it is in the church to be part of community and what a what a luxury it is to have other people to talk with and you don't we don't often realize because we have the luxury of a church uh, how many lonely people there are out there who yeah. don't have an avenue to talk through certain topics they just know what they hear through uh, their point. own talking heads uh, so I think Christians need to have a, a broader view and a loving view. So to, to kind of segue us to the next thing, and we'll talk more about what Christians can do to interact with this, one of the things on the Next Door app that was posted in the last month in my neighborhood is somebody stole somebody's political sign out of their yard. You guys have probably that seen that. That was me. That was you, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but it, it did blow up on the Next Door app to like those darn Democratic teenagers, and then it was like, how do you know 
wasn't Republican teenagers. And it was, it just blew up. But these last couple months all across America, we've been inundated with TV ads, with uh, yard signs. And for today, today, the day that we're recording, this is the day after the midterm election. So let's talk a little bit about the midterm elections and what happened in our nation as we saw some of the changing of the guard in some positions, some people reestablished in jobs that they already had. But the campaigning, uh, for now at least, is over. Guys, did you watch any of the midterm election coverage last night? Um, I didn't watch any of the coverage. I kept up just with my phone. Yeah, I did the same thing. The New York Times. I'm a I'm millennial. I'm a millennial, oh. so... I don't what's, watch TV. What's television? <laughs> so you use like your fridge updates you on the midterm yeah, elections? Yeah, when I went to go grab a snack, it was like, hey, just so you know, Ted Cruz is ahead by 0. 0.2 points. <laughs> Adam, did you watch any of it last night? Uh, I didn't watch it. I woke up this morning and um, and, and read the news and saw what happened. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what y'all think. Is I, I think from the coverage I did watch leading up, it basically turned out as predicted, right? Which yep. is... Yeah. Fairly normal, you know, in a midterm election, the House generally flips, uh, or that's not uncommon, you know, for uh, the opposition party to gain seats. The Senate did what they thought it was going to do, um, you know, uh, uh, and the uh, campaigning was uh, vitriolic as yeah. usual. So yeah. in some sense, it was like, um, yeah, it, it looks like it, it happened how it was how how people predicted it would happen. So. I think one thing too that that's an interesting point is I've heard multiple people saying that there was like a historic amount of voter turnout, particularly in the like not the actual what what is the word I'm thinking of in uh, early voting early voting yeah yeah um, which was it's interesting to hear there's like so much uh, interest interest in yeah in the midterm elections yeah. There was a lot. One of the things I heard last night that was, and it connects to what we're talking about, uh, the earlier conversation and this one, and what you just said, Adam, is since 2001, they said every time we've had these elections, there's been a flip in the House or the Senate or both, that there has not been since 2001, so for almost 20 years, a consistency of this party is going to maintain control, which I think tells you something about the divisiveness of our country and the back and forthness of our country. It's not a uniform we're either like very evenly split or so there's a bunch of independents going back and forth or people get so fired up about what the other party is doing they they show up in droves but there's not been a consistency in leadership why do you guys think that is why is our country for 20 years always flipping back and forth in the house i mean this is i don't know if this is the right answer but I, for me i think it's because <laughs> most people land somewhere in the middle and both parties are so far on one side and but most of America I think is longs for something you know that takes the best of both sides. Mm. Maybe I'm speaking for myself <laughs> here, but I just I, I think I think it's it says something about that and a desperation for that. Yeah. And I think about that every election. I'm I'm just like, man, if this Republican or this Democrat just pulled back a little bit <laughs> yeah. from their platform, they would win. They would win in a heartbeat. But there's just no, no, I don't know. See, no I wonder if it has something to do with the American eternal optimism and hope for change, that if we change the person, then things will get better. Like like in sports, you fire the coach when the season doesn't, doesn't go well, but maybe what you needed to do was stick behind that coach for a couple more years. But somebody is held accountable, right? And and Senate should be held accountable. That's why they get elected. If they're not doing their job, they should be removed and, and replaced by somebody else. But I think when things aren't going well, or you aren't happy with the government, or you aren't happy with your paycheck or whatever, we yeah. think, you know what I'll do? I'll vote for the other guy. I'll 
I'll vote mm -hmm. for somebody else. And so we think that if we change it, it will get better. I'm not advocating that what we need is a consistent like we don't need 20 year terms for senators. I'm just saying I think it's indicative of an American public who thinks yeah. what we need is change in order to make things better. Well, I recently spearheaded a nationwide Gallup poll uh, <laughs> where we interviewed uh, about 500,000 people. Yeah, and, how'd that no, go? Actually, I didn't do any of that. Um, I don't ha I don't I, I don't have an answer to this question. Um, I I could tell you how I f feel about it. Um, that means you do have an answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't have an answer. I can't solve the problem. I do have an answer. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think part of it maybe is like um, me personally, you, I feel trapped in this system where it's like it feels like a broken system. You vote for this party or you vote for this party, but you don't fully support what this person stands for or this person yeah. stands for. And so there's this flip-flopping back and forth of trying to find something, like David's saying, in the middle of, like, somebody to, to support the things that you support. But so part of it, I think, is that of feeling like you're stuck in this system that isn't working and, and it's getting worse. It feels like it's getting worse. Um, and then, uh, I, I don't know, part of it, too, is, like, I think we're lazy uh, yeah. as a people in a democratic yeah. society. You know, I think we've had, they said something about like nearly or historic voter turnout and it's still like less than 50% of the registered eligible voters, you know? Mm, yeah. um, and so I think that's part of it is like we are looking for somebody to solve a problem that we don't want to try and get yeah. involved in and solve ourselves. Well, that's the thing. It's know? almost like we made uh, being a good citizen is the equivalent of voting. Right. And if you that's voted, then you did your job as to. a citizen versus what that being a good citizen is, is addressing the issues you care about personally or institutionally in the churches or community organizations you're a part of. Right. And not just because, well, I voted for the guy that I expected to change these things. Because if we are putting our hope in politicians... Uh, the Bible talks about putting your hope in princes, and it warns against it to right. say, like, hey, if we're hoping that right. if we get the right guy in position, it will fix everything, then you have put your hope in the wrong place. And right. that doesn't mean don't vote. It means being a good citizen is much more than showing up on voting days and saying, <clears throat> this is the guy I would choose. Adam Hawkins, your thoughts? You're politically motivated. You've got a lot of political opinions. Mm. What do you think, man? Are you fired up today, or are you just like, it's whatever, I'm so tired of it? No, I actually agree with you. You know, we've... <clears throat> um, I used to be much more politically fired up uh, uh, back in the day. Yesterday. I think I put too much hope. It, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I think I put too much hope in politics. I really did. Um, and what I will say, uh, though, is that, um, yeah, I, I think to go back and, you know, to put my two cents to the original question, I, I just, again, probably echo what you guys are saying. I think it's a product of our two-party system. I think it's a product of most people feeling orphaned by that system. And so you, you know, and then it's also the 20, I mean, you know, you, you always talk about the news and the way the pictures are painted of, of our leaders and everything else. And I think you, um, well, in their own performance, too. I don't want to just say it's the media's fault or whatever. And then you have, basically, you know, a two-party... It's fickle. It's a it's a fickle thing. And so in the House, especially, you get, you know, in midterm elections, you get a, a flipping uh, that happens. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I'm cynical about politics and have been for a very long time. Um, I don't... I, I agree with you. I think if people actually uh, really practiced... Um, 
their politics, if I could put it that way, the world would actually be a pretty different place. Um, uh, and so, yeah, uh, you know, for instance, uh, just take it for instance, if you are somebody who is very, very strongly um, pro-life, uh, to just vote, honestly, I don't think that's going to change the world, man. I really don't. Uh, at the end of the day, if you're involved in adoption and in- involved in fostering and involved in education and involved in trying to uh, provide better jobs, right, so that poverty goes down and, and these kind of things, I think what you see is you actually see abortions decreasing. And so to just vote uh, for somebody and say, well, I know they're anti-abortion and so that's going to solve the problem. I mean, it's statistically, it's, it bears out that that's actually not true. And mm-hmm. so um, I agree. I think being a good citizen is actually trying to do something about the issues on a local level and certainly voting for it and certainly being involved in the policy stuff on it. You know, the hard thing is I don't think we can – we can't do that about everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know about some of you guys, but even voting itself is sort of intimidating. You go to the polls and, like – uh, railroad commissioners on the ballot for Texas, and, and railroad commissioner, whoever you are out there, uh, I know your job's important. I know it has to do with oil and gas. I know all these kind of. I know a little bit about it, but I don't know that much. And I honestly feel a bit. Um, and so I know some people probably refrain from voting for that position, but I honestly feel uninformed. Even if I go and I read your blurb on your website, I can't disconnect the person from the political party. Uh, yeah. I've never been able to do that. Uh, if you're a terrible person and but you vote pro-life or something, like I don't want to vote for you. You know what I mean? If you are a great leader, but we happen to disagree on some things, uh, I think the country is going to do better. You know, if you were in power, but maybe I disagree with you on some things. So, uh, and I think that's borne out. You know, like when you go back and you look through time, like tons of people hate Ronald Reagan, right? But the reality was he was a great leader and led us through some things. I know I might get some flack for that, but like. You did, there was something different about his leadership, right? Uh, or you can go back and talk about other other different parties, you know, and that being the case. Um, and then, so anyways, I'm, I'm sort of bloviating at this point. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think the big press for me, and Adam Griffin and I talked a little bit about this when, on the uh, Human Dignity and Midterm Elections episode a few episodes back. Um, it's just like, feeling more frustrated than ever this election season when it comes to just not feeling like I can faithfully with a clear conscience, you know, just get behind any of these people feeling that way. At least, um, it's really motivating me and hopefully those who are listening coming out of midterms just to think about what are those Imago day issues I care the most about and what am I actually doing about those issues personally and as and, and with my church? So I think for me, yeah, yeah. like, and I'm just being honest, like I don't do a lot. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to conversations in the next few weeks more than ever with my wife to think about what are the issues that we believe are most important? Yeah. What are we doing like in my local community? And then like what are we doing from like a nonprofit sort of bigger standpoint in that sense? I think those are like kind of two – easy things or maybe not easy they're going to actually require time and energy and maybe even money which a vote doesn't require any of that a vote requires like two hours of your life if that you know every two and four years this is this is the harder work and the and if you're really serious about the things that you say you're serious about and you know that everyone's saying that they're serious about this voting season then i think that that's the press that i would have for myself and for others is what are you 
you actually doing about any of these things? What is your church actually doing about any of these things? And yeah, if you're just if you're just voting, checking it off, then I, I don't yeah. really think you care. And I think just to your point, I think it's the the what we're seeing in politics and what you're seeing with like the next door app. There are microcosms in a lot of ways of the same issue of like we want to point the finger at other people and say that they're the problem or see the issues in other people, but we don't want to seriously look at ourselves yeah. and say like, what is my role in being a good neighbor? What is my role in being a good citizen? Um, like, where am I off? You know? And so it's, it's interesting to see two very different things, but kind of like, it's all going back to the same heart issue. It seems like, but yeah, no, I totally agree. What great insight, Chris. Hey, Why are thanks, you Adam. always on, dude? <laughs> He's replacing you if you stay sick. Uh, I know. And you're going to have to start running the board, Adam, so you're going to have yeah. to get some tutoring. You're going to have to learn how great. to run this. So, in, <laughs> let me segue, those, segue us one more time. We've just talked a lot about politics. One of the most frustrating things to me about politics is when people uh, treat politics like it is a competition of teams, that you're rooting for one team over another, as opposed to thinking about what politics really, really is, which is it's not just about uh, a team of people, but it's about individuals being represented and so our, our last topic today, we're going to talk about the individualism and how that has now manifested in the sports world and how sports has gone from this kind of team, uh, kind of the opposite direction of politics. It's gone from where you can root for a team. It says get behind a team where players have made it increasingly about themselves, right, and about how do they how do they get served. David, I'm, I might be talking wrong here, no, and this yeah, is your you topic. Are. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, you're on the right track. Tell I, me about I how the, the, the – I don't know much about the NBA, but I know you do, and in the NBA world, it's become very much an individualized contract sport, right? Yeah, yeah. I joked that this would be a therapy session because I love the NBA like more than any other sport. I listen to a daily NBA podcast. I watch every Mavs game. It's every Mavs game. Every Mavs How game. How many games a year are there? Eighty two. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a lot of Mavs. I would say though that it's sometimes just in the background and I'm you know, spending time with my family and glancing here and there, just sure. so no one judges your, me. You have those Google Glass do ever, glasses. Do you ever put it on a big screen in your yard and invite your neighbors to watch it with you? That's a really good idea. I, I heard that idea once. Yeah, that's a good if idea. If you put that out there, I will put some hate in the comments. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That'll no. drive up your viewership. Yeah, Can't so, believe this guy's a Mavs fan. David, Does he even have a license for this? <laughs> What's up, Adam? If Dirk Nowitzki, if Dirk Nowitzki ran for election in the German <laughs> parliamentary system, would you vote for him? I wouldn't be able to. Oh, it's good. Oh, you whatever, just, dude. I think he was trying but to Yeah, sure. David, people. I think he was trying to be funny. Yeah, I don't. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, he was, but I don't really know how to respond to that joke. <laughs> okay, so um, what's happening in the NBA? Yeah, yeah. So the, the tension that I feel loving uh, this league so much, and granted, basketball has always been a little bit more individualized than other sports. You know, you got five people on the court at yeah, one time. One player can make a big well, yeah, difference, they right? They can shape a whole culture, a whole team. LeBron James is, the, you know, sort of the. The example of He's that. He's the Adam Hawkins of basketball. Yeah. That's exactly the way I would explain okay. him. Um, a recent example, though, is um, you have this thing in the NBA where a lot of people are starting to demand trades. Um, a lot of people like, being players. Players, like players are saying that, you like have They've to signed trade. a contract with the team, and then one day they wake up. I know it doesn't work this way. And they're like, I don't want to be on this team anymore. Hmm. Trade me. You have to trade me. I'm going to not play. I'm going to make things miserable for everybody else. Trade me. And you're like, saying even though they have a contract, they have the power to force that? Yeah, that's just uh, in some ways. There, there may be some things coming up soon. Where there are lawsuits, um, like where a team could sue a player really? um, for, for doing this. And I think that that might end up shaping the way that this plays out long term in the NBA. But the point is that there's just a lot of individualism in the NBA. And the idea of loyalty to a team is 
it, it really doesn't even exist anymore. It exists with people like Dirk, for example. He's one of the, the few players in the NBA that has played with one team for such an extended period of time. You see this with the Spurs organization. You know, they've had a lot of players who have stayed for the long haul. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea of loyalty is dying out. And I think it's just it's super individual. And so I think that I say a therapy session because I'm I struggle with this. It's because this is the sport I love. Yeah. But then I and, and I'm even entertained by some of this. That's what's scary. Like Jimmy Butler trade, I'm like, oh yeah. Like tell me what what's up with that now. Can but, I ask you a question about it? Is it motivated by money? Is it they want to win somewhere else, or they exactly don't like where they're they don't it, like where it, they're at? It, it it doesn't matter. Like it it could depend on the player. I would say Jimmy Butler doesn't necessarily care about winning. He just doesn't like. There are like two young players on his team who don't try hard. And that's what he's saying is the reason he wants to leave. Like he wants to be on a team that everyone gives it 110 percent to use sports uh, okay. language. Um, and so it could be. So David, it could be legacy. It could be money. It could be not liking the team. Right? Yeah, it yeah. But like, it, but, but at the end of the okay. But at the end of the day, it's it, Kevin Durant's another example. His was you know I think for legacy. He wanted to go to the Golden State yeah. Warriors. He left OKC. Um, to win a championship, and he's won two, and probably will win three this year. Um, yeah. So I'm just I'm, I struggle with because I'm like, is this good? Is it good that I'm entertained by this? Probably not. Um, is this shaping our culture in a yeah. negative way? Um, Can I interject and, something yeah. again? So I've I've listened to a, somebody speak on something similar to this recently that talked about how America runs in kind of a communist system of sports where it's like run by these owners and uh, they get to trade players and move players around as they are commodities. Whereas I believe European soccer works more in like a capitalist world of like whoever pays the most, you can go wherever you want. And both seem to be fairly successful. Adam, do you know much about European soccer? Am I saying that accurately? They can go, they can kind of sign a big contract to whatever team offers them the most money? Yes. And uh, so I'm a huge soccer fan, uh, football as we call it. Uh, <laughs> watch mostly the Premier League, but I'll watch some of the... the um, Bundesliga, which is the German league, and then I'll try to get as many La Liga games, which is the Spanish league. It's out, Italy has a great league. Uh, France has some good teams. So it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating world. It's a bit different, um, but I think you see the same thing. You know, there is, like here, probably with the NBA, there is an interesting, you know, fan, basically there are these hometown kids who come up through their academies and stuff. So each professional team sort of has its own academy, and so there's homegrown players that come through, and they face a lot of pressure to stay at their club, you know. Um, uh, I think, though, like the NBA, and, uh, and uh, it's like that in soccer, where, man, you can, like, the reality, though, is is that you, you have to trade. Look, your career's not long, and so you mm-hmm. have to trade, uh, uh, you know, and a lot of these players, like NBA, the same thing's true with soccer, right? Because they're coming through these academies, a lot of these players aren't going to school, right? They're just going straight to play. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you see that in the NBA now for sure. And so they're, they're, they have to make this trade. It's like, man, I'm, gonna, I'm most likely, if you look at the average, I'm not making it to 30. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And so I have to get money. I have to figure this out because I don't have anything once I'm out of here. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of times what's happening is they're balancing that, you know, hometown hero type feel versus, uh, uh, this thing of like, I got to make my money while I can. I, again, I will say what's a little bit different is because of those teams, it's like a lot of these guys are growing up in a certain neighborhood and they're going to live there the rest of their life. 
And so, like, if they if they do leave, like, let's say you're on Liverpool, you've come up through Liverpool's academy, and you've been a huge hero there. After you retire, you're going to live in Liverpool again, even if you go and play. You know, so you have to live with France at, at a big team. Yeah. You kind of have to live with that, and so there's a social stigma that comes with it. And so, I think there's still a little, there can be a little more control uh, uh, from the fans. You know, whereas I don't know if that same hometown feel, I don't know if that's true in the NBA or not, because I'm just not as close to it. But they exert a certain level of influence for sure. The fans themselves do. Well, that's uh, that's what's interesting uh, to me is how much of this is driven by a fan value versus a personal value. Like I, I value a yeah. player that I like being on a team for a long time. I value loyalty. But I, go, I can also imagine empathizing with the player who's going, but it's in my best interest to do what's best for me and my family. And I feel like that is getting the contract I want where I want it. David, is that what's happening, or do you feel like it's a, it overly selfish? It's probably a mixed bag of things. Um, yeah. I don't want to just say it's completely one way and everyone's just being selfish and there's no sense of loyalty. I think you can do kind you, of overblow it that way. Do you care because you're loyal to a team? And it's, I, I guess from my standpoint, it's like, okay, who cares if this guy who does basketball for a living, literally he's doing it for a living, and maybe some there's some out there who are passionate about it, but... Um, like, d- does it bug you because you're loyal to a team and you want to see players also be loyal I, I to that it, team? I think or? it bothers me because I'm thinking of this sort of through, like, um, cultural analysis. Like, to think about, like, young kids who are growing up watching sports. Yeah, what's it teaching them? Li- yeah, what is this yeah. teaching them about when they enter work? So you're um, saying NBA needs, like, a theology of place, Benner? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> ultimately, yes. I, I think that, that, yeah, I wouldn't say it that can way. Can a player re- in the NBA, can they reject their draft? Like, could they say, if I drafted them to a team, could I say, no, I'm going uh, to a different one? Kind of. The, there's there's some rules around that, but, like, there have been players who have made it very clear they don't want to be drafted to a certain team, which is okay. just kind of wrong to do. Oh, yeah. Um, but that people, me people have done that, and therefore that, you know, that team can't draft them. But it doesn't happen as much. So I guess that's my concern, though, because I think sports, is just it's kind of both things it's like a it's a reflection of culture mm-hmm. um and what we've already talked about with like the next door app in terms of this sense of non-place and you can kind of go create your own identity at any time you see that like happening in sports all over the place and so i think it's reflecting that but it yeah. also pours back into to culture it shapes culture so that's where i'm concerned and maybe the the answer is just that we have to watch these things critically we can't just sort of enjoy sports i think it i think the People would probably tell me right now, just shut up and enjoy sports. It's just, it's just sports, right? But maybe. These- but I think if you take the cultural analysis one step further, I think it's really fascinating to think about. There is a group of people in our culture that have the luxury of getting to pick what they do and where they want to work because they have options, which is the same true for an all star, like somebody who maybe gets to pick between several teams that are trying to offer them a contract. And there's other dreamers out there that are thinking, I just want to play in the NBA. I just want to be on a team. I just want to get recruited to a college. I just want to get a scholarship who do not achieve that or if they do maybe it's with the team they don't want or with a school they don't want to go to or it's not their first choice and we kind of get wrapped up in the superstar the guy who gets to pick whatever he wants to do or gets to leverage the contract but the truth is for most of the world we end up doing a job that maybe isn't our our first choice to do like um no, nobody like office space to, to quote the great movie he says <laughs> if you had a million dollars what would you do with your life and that's what you're supposed to do and he says well no one would clean up garbage for a million dollars so somebody out there has to take a job and the culture has created a, I think America has created a dream culture it's like you can anybody can do whatever they want 
Mm-hmm. And if we just all pursue this, yeah. you can, you've, you've all been told you're, you're beautiful. You're this unique snowflake. And that's not true for all of culture, but it is true for a lot of millennials that now feel like any job that doesn't give me ultimate fulfillment is not a job that I can stay in, which is not true. Yeah. Like yeah. we can be loyal. It is okay. If you work at the village church 40 years from now, you'll have nothing to apologize for, even if you're in the same job you're in now. Right, right. And there's just sort of a growing trend away from that. But, but then here's sort of maybe a good ending question that I've been wrestling with and I'm curious of, like, thinking theologically here, is loyalty an actual virtue? Mm-hmm. I, I think, like, your gut reaction is like, yes, loyalty is a virtue, but then you can, the way that that could become problematic is what if you're loyal to something that's... It's not in your best interest. It's not in your best interest, or it's not in the best interest of society or something else. Yeah. I know that's sort of a rabbit trail, but I'm curious of how you guys would answer that question. Hawkins, we haven't heard from you. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, is it one of the um, sort of historic virtues? Not necessarily, you know, uh, 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 but I think it is a virtue. I think loyalty is absolutely a virtue. But like any others, um, if you're not um, placing loyalty to Christ first, yeah, you're going to have disorder, a disordered sort of love. You'll have a disordered sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, it'll be disordered. And so there, what happens is you'll, like you're saying, you'll be loyal to something else. So, like you could argue that the journeyman, right, which is sort of what they tell. It's funny. I don't know if they do it in the NBA, but in soccer. Uh, you almost get a reputation if you jump clubs a lot, and they'll kind of call you a journeyman, right, or whatever. Oh, there's definitely <laughs> the those guys in the is, NBA, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so the the reality is, is like maybe those guys, their highest loyalty is to money, mm. right? Their highest loyalty. So I guess what I would say is, yes, it's a virtue, but it depends on what you're loyal to. That's a good point. Uh, uh, the aim of your loyalty has to be something, and if it is Christ, um, then I think you can do what Adam just said. You can stay in a job. You can stay in a, a place for a long time and put down deep roots. And, you know, you may not end up with the most money in the world, but maybe you, maybe the things you gain, you know, the reputation that you gain, I'm thinking specifically through the sports lens, maybe the reputation, maybe the, the seeds you've sort of sown into the team. Maybe there's deeper things that happen. I can tell you right now, a lot of these lifetime players overseas, they end up being coaches on the very same teams. You mm. see that a lot, you know? And so, but a lot of these journeymen, they don't. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, like, yeah. you see that and you kind of go, man, maybe they are in some sense setting themselves up to be an ambassador for that club, to be an ambassador, you know, our team or whatever. Um, and, and, and maybe maybe it is more than just money, you know? Uh, and so again, yeah, that's where I, that's what I would say. I think it, it yeah. depends on the aim of what your loyalty is. I yeah. think, uh, I think the, the virtue that's wrapped up in loyalty is trustworthiness. And like, we are called to be trustworthy, although we're not called to put our trust in any person. And what bothers my kind of internal justice meter with what you're talking about, David, is when it seems like somebody has promised something to a team and then has reneged on that promise and say, they're going to take it back. So, Hey, I want to play for you. I'm going to play for this many years for this many dollars. And then either they got better than that or the team got worse than that. And they just decided I'm going to do something else. And that would bother me because it does feel like, but you committed to something, but we can't treat jobs like marriages. Like marriages is a commitment that's for, for better or for worse. 
jobs, like we can quit a job, you can get fired from a job, and in some respect, an NBA player is doing a job. And if he decides he wants to do a different job, at some point you go, but you have a contract, which contracts are an important part of some occupations, but there are times when contracts are broken. Certainly when it's the best interest of the owner to let a player go, they don't go, but we promised this guy we'd keep him for two more years. Yeah. No, sometimes they just let that guy go or they cut him, and the player wants the same power that the owner has. I get that. I totally get that. So this is one of my favorite things about doing episodes like this. We talk about three different topics. They don't necessarily all wrap up in really clean packages of like, and so church, this is what you do. And so Christians, this is what we think. But some of it is just us uh, thinking out loud about whether it's uh, sports and individual achievement or individual decisions and what it means for teams or whether it's politicians or political parties, whether it's the people next door to us. Uh, we, we're all across the spectrum on what we are seeing in the world today and what it has to do with the church. What we know for sure is that Christ speaks into every area of our lives, that the gospel has something to say about the, all these things, whether it's the trustworthiness of a guarantee you've given to a team, whether it's what a politician has committed to you in his campaign and now he or she has been elected and what you expect them to do going forward, or what it means to be a neighbor to somebody. Uh, culture does matter to Christians and it matters to us. And that's why I enjoy getting to talk about it with you guys. So guys, thanks for participating in what's been a really fun discussion for me. I hope it's been helpful for someone out there. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's fun. Adam, thanks for joining us, even in the midst of your illness. I know the doctor told you to rest. Why don't you go do that, buddy, and enjoy that tea. Hey, I enjoy you guys very much. And uh, I love talking with you guys. So honestly, uh, to call in was a delight Good. Aww. Well, I'm imagining you, you in kind of like a silk red robe with a pipe and some slippers on. Yeah. You go back to, to to smoking your pipe and reading your books. I'm actually we'll you imagining buddy. one of those bubble pipes. And like oh, those, yeah. Those there are bubbles so coming out. <laughs> so basically, you're just imagining what I look like in studio. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Love you, buddy. Love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Love you guys. All right. Later. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website. Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Chris Starrett. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.